Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Online, on smart speakers, and on Listen Again. This is Food FM. The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in partnership with Club Onologique, the world through the lens of wine and spirit. This week, discovering Lirac, a special edition focused on this Southern Rhone appellation whose approachable, affordable wines are winning new fans. We'll hear from Master of Wine, Alistair Cooper, and two of the region's leading winemakers to find out why Lirac should be on every wine lover's list. On the right bank of the Southern Rhone, the appellation of Lirac might still be a well-kept secret for many, despite its long and illustrious history of winemaking. But its reputation is growing, producing red, white and rosé wines from a range of varieties dominated by Grenache. The wines are elegant and nuanced, uh, not to mention competitively priced. In a moment, we'll hear more about its wines from two seasoned producers in the region. Uh, but first, by way of uh, an introduction, Alistair Cooper, Master of Wine, a member of the IWSC's Senior Judging Committee, an all-round Rhone expert and a bit of a regular here on The Drinking Hour as well. Um, Ali, uh, welcome back to The Drinking Hour. Thanks, David. Great to be with you again. Been a while. Well, thank you. It's been a while and uh, I've been hounding you, so I shall get straight on with it because uh, uh, I want to talk about uh, Lirac. Uh, you're, uh, amongst many other things, a, a Rhone expert. Um, tell us a bit about Lirac. Lirac, it's, it's, a, it's a fairly enigmatic crew in many ways, I would say. It's, it's one of the oldest, yet I, I think it's probably fair to say it's one that um, maybe is a little bit confused as to its own identity. I suppose in, in many ways, it doesn't have the image or it's not as well known as, say, Gigondas or Rasto or Keran, which, which is odd because it's one of the oldest appellations there is. So I think it, it's, it's, um, it, it's, it's a slightly confused appellation, which is a shame because I think there's so many lovely wines here. It really can offer great um, value for money. I think as well, I don't know if you know this, but it does have the dubious honour of being the birthplace of Phylloxera in, uh, in, um, in, in France. So it was, it was here that, I can't remember the gentleman's name, that he received the cuttings of vines in Lirac that then went on to devastate the European wine industry. So it's sort of, it's fairly infamous in many ways as well. Yes, I, I wondered <laughs> if we'd get to the infamy uh, but let's go for the fame instead, or, or the fame it warrants, at least, because um, why do we love a place like Lirac? Well, I think, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot to be said for 
villages or appellations that lie next to very famous areas. If we look at, let's say, the equivalent in the Loire Valley, Munatu Salon or Cancy next to Sancerre, you know, sometimes you can get great value for money in these neighbouring things. And obviously, just I think it's only about five miles away as the crow flies from 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 the eastern part of of, of Lirac, we have Chateauneuf-du-Pape, you know, the oldest AOC in France and, you know, certainly one of the most famous. And I think what, what Lirac has to offer, and, you know, we can talk a little bit about this, is I don't want to always compare it to Chateauneuf-du-Pape because it's inherently different. There are certain things that, that are very similar. The soil type, you know, it's come from the same, the same um, has the same soil type and history as Chateauneuf-du-Pape, but, you know, it offers great value for money. So there's something quite romantic about having somewhere that's producing fabulous wines at a fraction of the price that offer, you know, maybe a, a snapshot or a glimpse of its more famous neighbours. I know uh, they've had some cracking vintages in the Rhone in recent years. I was talking to you for uh, an interview yeah. I was doing with you for for a, a, a written piece for uh, I think it was for Harper's. They they've just had a, a run of, of of really good vintages, haven't they? There they have, yeah. I mean, with twenty twenty one aside, which was a which was um you know notoriously <laughs> difficult vintage all over France. Um, yet still in in the Rhone, there are some great wines to be found in twenty twenty one. But yes, you know, while global warming and, and this is what we talked about, I remember global warming and climate change is is um, seen as being doom and gloom in many ways in certain parts of the world, and the Rhone, you know, is is no exception. It's actually, it's I would say thus far, and, and I, I might upset some people by saying this, it's, it's been largely positive in many ways. There's been this run of fantastic vintages, um, whereas 20, 30, 40 years ago, it was not, it was not that way you would get more um, fluctuation in vintage. So there's been a fantastic run for the last decade, really, um, in the Rhone. And, um, and that's, been, that's been great to see. So consistency in these areas is key. And, and Lirac is no exception. You know, it's making consistently great wines year in, year out. And of course, uh, the overwhelming majority of those wines are red. But it's important that the white wines and the rosé wines of the Rhone are not forgotten, isn't it? It is absolutely, and and that's a really good point you bring up there. So, along with with Vacuras, um, Lirac is the only other crew that um, can produce both well, all three, you know, red, white, and rose. And as you say, it is predominantly red. Um, I think it's around eighty five to ninety percent of the production is red, and then probably five or six, I think, is is white, and, and the balance, you know. We're talking about two, three percent is rosé, and of course, with Lirac especially, it it sort of neighbours um, Tavel, which of course is is extremely famous for its um for its rosé wines. Yet it doesn't have the same stipulations as Tavel does. So Tavel has to have it has to be a particular colour. You know, if it's too dark it, or too light, it won't get through the the appellation system. Whereas they don't have those regulations in Lirac, which means actually, in some ways, people there now are producing the lighter, more fashionable Provence colour rosés, which sometimes may actually not have quite as much character as the beautiful wines of, of Tavel. But but coming back to your point, yeah, it is important not to forget the the whites and the, and the rosés, because I really think actually that these darker styles of rosé from, from Tavel, and I know we're focusing on Lirac here, but the neighbouring Tavel rosés really, really um, are going to have their day again soon. You know, people have been talking about it for ages, but I really do think that these are wines that can that that, that are going to become increasingly important and increasingly higher profile. But the white wines of the Rhone, yeah, absolutely. You know, great, great varieties there. You've got the sort of 
richer styles of Roussin, but you've got Claret, which is a beautiful grape variety, which you, you find quite a lot of in, in Lirac as well, and Bourbalanc. There's some beautiful, they're so lucky in the Southern Rhone that they, they have such a huge, uh, you know, range of, of grape varieties to choose from. And, and again, in the context of climate change, that gives them a huge advantage to be able to react um, and, and, and use other grape varieties that are, that are more apt to, to, to climate change. And much like a cook, you know, they can adjust the seasoning a bit with the grape varieties to an extent, can't they? Uh, in terms of adjusting, perhaps, uh, to take account of factors like vintages, obviously, but also bigger factors like climate change too. Blending is very helpful, isn't it? Blending is very, very helpful. And of course, that is something that, as you say, that they have the huge advantage of in, in, in the Southern Road. And Lyrac's no example. Grenache is, of course, key here. It's, it's, it's king, um, as you tend to find in, in, in the most, most of the Southern Rhone. But Sanso, you know, as you know, I'm, I'm a big Sanso fan. And I think Sanso increasingly... Mm. Is, is going to play a, a, a bigger role in um, in in the Southern Rhone and in Lyrac and certainly in Chateauneuf du Pape and as well with Morvedre. I think we, we are beginning to see Syrah's importance wane a little bit as it it can it can just get a little bit too big now with the with the warming um, down there. So I think Grenache and Sanso and, and Cunoise as well, another great variety that's beautifully suited to 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 climate change to bring that freshness into the blend. Absolutely. So if Lyrac is a new name for a wine lover, uh, which it may be mm. still uh, compared, as you say, with some of uh, those other appellations, then there's plenty to get stuck into, basically. There is, yeah. And I think what, what's an interesting thing about Lyrac is it, it, it's, it is a heterogeneous sort of soil type there, which, again, maybe is one of the reasons why it, why it, why it struggles from perhaps a, a lack of identity, because it is very varied, which is a positive, but again, also a negative. So you've got the soils that are very similar to Chateauneuf du Pape. You also have some beautifully sandy soils as well. And people do wonder, and this is the age old question of when you have a village with the same soil type, you know, only five or six miles away, or as we see in Burgundy, sometimes only 100, 200 meters away, why do they have such different styles? Here in Lyrac, a lot is to do with the fact that we're on the, the western side of the Rhone here. So we're on the, we're on the left bank. And it's a very complex, complex myriad of factors there. We've got the Seven Mountains just north of Lirac, which affect the microclimate. And the way the Mistral blows through the Lirac Appellation is quite different to the way it does Chateauneuf du Pape. So all of these local microclimates, fascinating, these sort of small changes that can make such a difference to the style of wine. So Lirac really produces, if we're going to sum up the, the difference in styles of wine between sort of Chateauneuf du Pape and, and Lyrac. Lyrac tends to be a more elegant, earlier drinking wine with, with finer tannins, more acidity, more purity, whereas Chateauneuf is bigger. It is bolder. It's, you know, famously rich and burly. Um, and the, the expression in Lyrac is just that little bit more refined and elegant. Ali Cooper, MW, with an introduction to the Lyrac region. So to the region's winemakers, Pierre Fabre, is winemaker at Chateau Montredon and Gérald uh, Lafont is winemaker at Domaine d'Arbousset. And they both uh, join me now uh, for a little more on Lyrac from those who work the land. Pierre, uh, just um, give us a, a little bit of historical context, if you would, for Lyrac, because, of course, uh, the Rhone is really one of the oldest wine-producing regions 
in the world. And Lirac has an illustrious history, doesn't it? Lirac does have a long history. The AOC uh, was created in 1947. So it is not the first AOC to be created as the, the very first ones were um, made, were, were signed uh, in 1936. But it was uh, closed uh, after. Uh, and the um, production of Lirac at that time uh, was uh, really rosé-focused. Uh, they were inspired by the neighbor uh, apparition, uh, which is Tavel. Uh, and so, unfortunately, Lirac kind of uh, stayed a little bit in the shade of Tavel, uh, because Tavel was the first rosé apparition. Uh, but in the late, uh, I would say in the early 90s, uh, or in the 90s, a uh, few winemakers or properties from, from the other bank of the Rhone River started to settle in Iraq and, and, and started to promote, help the promotion of the Appalachian alongside some uh, few historical estates uh, or genuine estates. So, uh, and when uh, Iraq uh, started to fo- more focus on red wine, this is where we, uh, we saw the, the, the real um, increase in the promotion of the Appalachian. Uh, and actually, the Appalachian is a hidden gem uh, because the, the Appalachian has various terroirs, but absolutely great terroirs uh, to produce very uh, fine uh, wines. And we'll definitely talk about that uh, terroir shortly. Um, just give us a sense of the production volumes, if you like, because it's overwhelmingly red, almost 90% red wine uh, these days, Pierre, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, and uh, maybe maybe white is uh, 7 or 8% and rosé re- remains for 2 or 3%. So I'm mostly red now. Uh, and I would say total production would be 20 to 25,000 hectoliters a year, depending on the vintages. And Gérald, um, for those listening who um, have uh, some French geography, but not uh, that much, uh, just explain for us where you're positioned in Lirac. So Lirac is, um, is on the right side of the, the Rhone uh, Valley. Uh, so it's... Um, very uh, in the south of the Rhone Valley. In fact, there is a very, um, very uh, huge. Uh, it's a very huge appellation if we consider the north of the region and the south. But uh, we are really in the south, and we are the the, the cru, which is uh, maybe uh, the more uh, south of the appellation, except Tavel, which is a bit uh, more in the in the south. So the. Um, the Lirac is very close to Avignon and Chateauneuf-du-Pape on the other bank. And um, the situation makes uh, the, the Cru uh, a very uh, unique position because in the right side of the, the Rhone Valley, we are not, uh, there is not a lot of uh, Cru, uh, in fact. A lot of the Cru are on the, on the, the left bank of the, the Rhone Valley. And uh, Gérald, um, you're very near Avignon, aren't you? Yes. And that yes, we are very close to Avignon. That has a, a historical connection to wine production, going back to the alternative papacy, uh, right back to then, doesn't it? Uh, we, we we have an history also with the the Pape uh, from Avignon, uh, but uh, actually the um, this is not our appellation that is most known for this. But uh, we also have connection with that for sure. 
And uh, Pierre, uh, tell us a little bit about the terroir, the the constituent parts that make up the soils and the weather conditions that contribute to the wine uh, in Lirac. There are several uh, kind of soils uh, in Iraq, which makes a very high diversity uh, um, of uh, wines profiles. I would say one of the main terroir is covered with pebbles. So it, it looks like what people imagine or think uh, first when they think of Chateauneuf-du-Pape. So it's, it's very, um, very uh, rocky. And then you... Uh, Lirac for the parcels uh, which are neighboring the Rhone River are on terraces. So the the lower terraces you go, the more sandy it is, or the sandiest it is, and the less pebbly it is. So I would say the last terrace and the plateaus are covered with pebbles. Uh, and then there is another part a little further west uh, with a very uh, a high um, lime or chalk uh, content with white angular pebbles, uh, not pebbles, but rocks, which is not a big part of the appellation, but I mean, these kind of soils also exist. And of course, in between those three kinds of soils, uh, there is all the mix of those you, you can imagine. So a little bit of pebbles or sand uh, or pebbles and chalk. Or, so it makes a very, very, very uh, versatile uh, appellation. And Gérald, those pebbles, those rocks, as Pierre said, they are very famous uh, in the context of Chateauneuf-du-Pape, of course, but um, you have a similar effect on the wines in Lirac, I assume. Yes, this is a physical effect uh, at first. We, call, we, we talk a lot about the, the effect of the, the sun on the rocks that make them very hot at the days and at night it can help to, uh, to maintain a, a good temperature on the soil. But also this is for the drainage um, effect, which is very interesting that when it is rainy or when there are uh, rainy conditions, the water can uh, don't stay on the, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the soil and it makes the vineyard very uh, healthy. And, uh, and for us, it's a very good thing that we can also work on the, on the soil after the rain very quickly. So uh, this kind of terroir is uh, like, uh, it's for, for this condition is a heaven, but for, to work on is very difficult, in fact, because of also the, the, the condition. You can imagine it's like uh, um, a sea with a lot of, uh, this is covered by, by the rocks. And so when you use the material on it, and uh, it, uh, it affects a lot the material. Yes, but it's very good for the. So it's very, very interesting for. It's a chance that we have this kind of terroir, especially uh, this, uh, these rocks, this pebble, but also the sand that we have uh, under the pebble, which which is uh, very interesting. And Pierre, let's talk about the typicity of the the wines, um, the reds um, most significantly here, and the influence of those uh, conditions on the wines. Um, the wines of Lirac um, have a, a reputation for being 
uh, structured, uh, quite powerful, with uh, you know, complexity and depth, don't they? First of all, uh, I would like not to minimize uh, the quality of the white wines, because Lirac, even if if it's not ten percent of the total production, uh, does some great white wines, mostly based on claret, uh, and so he gives a very very elegant uh, style of white, and I'm sure that whites for Lirac have a great future. But speaking of reds, I w- I'll. I'm like to say Lirac is little brother of Chateauneuf du Pape. So as you said, it has a very decent uh, structure, uh, speaking of reds, but doesn't have the same aging uh, capacity uh, as Chateauneuf. But it's it's not the the matter because uh, it makes uh, I would say an approachable, an earlier approachable profile of, of little Chateauneuf. It's it's mostly the same soil with the pebbles. Well, only there is less clay uh, in Lirac than in Chateauneuf. That's that's the main difference. But otherwise, the, the pebbles effect, as Gerald said, uh, is t- totally true. And then we we somehow use uh, the same mix of grapes. So mostly Grenache-based, then Syrah and Mourvedre, mostly. So we have the same grapes in the, under the same climate, almost, almost the same soil. So I would say it, it's, it's very uh, approachable, rich, charming, uh, uh, dark or red fruit character. And actually, it's it also can age a little bit, I would say, six to ten years uh, for most of the wines and maybe a little f- uh, longer for, for the best cuvées. And uh, Pierre, it, it's very helpful to you, I assume, given your proximity to Chateauneuf du Pape, that that particular wine name is one of the most famous red wine names in the world, uh, that must be a, a great boost to you in Lirac. It, it, it is for sure because um, Chateauneuf du Pape wines open a lot of commercial sales networks. Uh, and then once once you have those markets, it's very easy to have uh, people taste Lirac. And when they, they get the first sip, then they just love it. So it's the only thing is uh, the only hard thing is to have people discover Lirac for the first time. But when they taste it, they realize it's absolutely a great value from the Southern Rhone. And Gerald, that actually is one of the uh, major factors for uh, Lirac, uh, isn't it? Because Chateauneuf du Pape is uh, really uh, these days uh, quite an expensive wine. Um, there's a lot more. Uh, value to be had for a very similar style of wine from Lirac. For me, uh, I think that it's it's always difficult to compare two appellations. Uh, they are very close, of course, but the story of them are different. The variety used are a bit different also. The practice are a bit different. So it gives some difference on the wine. The truth is that we have a common um, style as sometimes for the for the cuvee for the, but also uh, we have um, uh, a specificity on the on this appellation, uh, which is known for its freshness and uh, for uh, its uh, finesse, uh, like Chateauneuf can be also, but not on all the terroir. So it makes a specificity, and as um, uh, Pierre said before. Uh, that's why also that we had a lot of uh, we have a lot of uh, very good whites and we have a very good potential on it. For 
for the red again, I think that uh, the proximity of Chateauneuf can help for the, as Pierre said also, the the, the channel of distribution uh, for to show the wine to the world because Chateauneuf is a great appellation, is um, the well-known appellation maybe uh, for the red, and uh, it's uh, it's a very good chance that we have this uh, very close to us. Mm. I think Lirac for some feels a bit like a um, unlocking. Um, a secret or something, you know. You, you uh, if you can't afford to buy as much Chateauneuf du Pape as you want, then then actually there's this this wonderful opportunity to 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 switch your focus next door uh, and and sample the wines from Lirac. I know this because I, I've done it myself. Um, uh, Pierre, do you find that once people have uh, done that, there is a uh, discovered Lirac. There is a real loyalty there. Yes, because uh, speaking of our own experience, um, when we uh, we bought our first uh, parcel of Lirac in 1997, so it's all, almost uh, let's say 30 years that we are um, distributing Lirac, and it has always happened the same in all on our export markets which is at the first time um, we inform our customer that uh, we now have a, a Lirac wine. Then they hesitate to taste, then they taste, then they like it, then they love it, and then now they just can't live without it. So in, in every single market on export, it has always uh, been the same history. So uh, and, and now I mean, a lot of uh, our brand and a lot of, of Iraq is very well uh, settled in a lot of export markets and, and people are expecting it uh, year after vintages after vintages. So yes, it's hard to, I would say, to sum up, uh, to do the first step, but then there's a, there's a huge loyalty to this appellation. Tell us a little bit about your estate, Pierre. We, um, well, we actually, we, we do two brands. Uh, we do the historical one, which is uh, Chateau Mordon, uh, and uh, which is about 35 hectares of vineyard. Uh, and basically, we keep the best uh, plots uh, to blend, uh, to create our blend of Lirac. Uh, and we declassify the rest of the grapes into our estate called Huron. So our cuvee of Lirac is the best uh, grapes we have from this appellation. Uh, and we, we age it uh, like a third in uh, Burgundian barrels and two thirds in tank for a year. And then we blend a bottle, let it rest a little bit and, and start to ship, uh, to ship about six months uh, after bottling. So that's, that's for uh, Lirac Chateau Morodon. And then uh, we took over Domaine du Gencier, uh, which is 100% on the Pebbles Plateau. Uh, which is a smaller um, uh, estate, about 15 hectares now, uh, which, which is run uh, biodynamically. So we wanted to create another uh, style of Iraq uh, and from another terroir. So we, we, we are separating the two, the two styles of Iraq. Mm, and I want to talk about uh, biodynamic uh, methods uh, shortly as well. But um, Gérald, um, I should also ask you uh, the same question. Just tell us a bit about... Uh, your own estate so my domain is a small domain for the appellation it's like six uh, hectares so it's very small one my father uh, had some uh, thoughts on the, the appellation for a long time for the grandfather from his grandfather and i kept uh, this uh, this vineyard and i bought some more to uh, to increase my capacity for of production 
So I'm making um, different cuvées and I'm uh, selling all the wine in the bottle. This is a biological uh, way to, to manage my vineyard. And uh, um, I, uh, I use only the, the concrete tank and uh, some uh, demi-mui for the aging and uh, making only reds for now and waiting for the, for the, for the whites in the future. Uh, I will plant some plots with whites. So that's the situation for me now. Thank you. And grape varieties. We touched briefly on this. Pierre, um, you have actually um, potentially quite a few grape varieties that are authorized uh, within uh, the Appalachian. Oh, yes. I mean, they're, I would say um, Grenache is the main one, but you can you can use uh, Syrah, Mauvets, and so. Uh, I think Carignan too, and they might open the the book, the the the, the, the laws a little bit more in the in the future. And then we have uh, at least five white grapes. We got Rus Claret, Roussin, Grenache Blanc, Bourboulinque, and probably Big Pool also. So yes, there is a there is a lot of a lot of uh, different grapes or varietals in Lirac, and which uh, also means that um, the Lirac wines have uh, very different styles depending on, of course, the the the, the soils that grow the vineyards grow on, but also the, the blends you can do. You know, um, our classical blend would be uh, 60, 70 percent Grenache, slightly less than seventy percent Grenache, twenty uh, percent Syrah, and ten percent Mourvèdre. We uh, we uh, gave up uh, producing rosé, and we uh, we don't have any senso anymore. And for the white, uh, it's predominantly claret, which is for me one of the white grapes of the future in the, in the Rhone Valley, uh, because this is probably the, the that grape which provides the best finesse, complexity, and delicatesse, especially with the the global uh, warming uh, getting close or coming on. And Pierre, um, with the reds, you're always blending. There's always, I think, a, a, at least, is it 40% Grenache in, in the blend? 70%. 70, sorry. And mm. uh, th so that's the main constituent part of the blend. And then you're, yeah. uh, you're free to, to kind of um, to mix the other varieties as you see fit. There are, there, there are some rules. It's like I don't think you can do less than 40% uh, Grenache in the blend, but the, the rules are quite uh, flexible, quite open. Uh, so we, we decided to, to, to put so much Grenache because we like the, the texture uh, of uh, Grenache, which is, a, uh, I would say, uh, with some humor, uh, this is the Pinot Noir from the South. They're very delicate, uh, I mean, large shoulder, but very fine tannins, moderate uh, color, and, and but high alcohol or higher alcohol. Uh, that's why we like to, to blend uh, some Syrah, which are much lower alcohol, and that uh, provides a lot of balance uh, to the blend. And uh, Mauvel also, uh, we try to pick a little, uh, with actually with the lower sugars, uh, so that also helps to balance the power of Grenache bring some tannins and also some spice and some pepper. So I think we, in that, with our terroir, with that blend, I think we got something very, very delicate, but very complex and absolutely early approachable. And Gerald, tell us about uh, how you approach uh, your uh, blending of those varieties. 
My vineyard is uh, mainly Grenache also. Uh, we have a lot of Grenache uh, in the maximum that we can, in fact, uh, because, you know, there are some rules in the, in the appellation that we have to, uh, to respect. Um, so this is mainly Grenache, but uh, I have also some Senso, uh, Syrah, Mourvedre, but you can have more than this uh, in your, in your um, plots. I mean, you, you can have also some uh, full noir and uh, some uh, uh, carignan. And this is allowed to have this uh, variety, but I don't have in mind first for now. Um, and um, uh, my approach for, the, for this is to, uh, to, to blend the, the variety when, I, when I'm uh, making the vinification. I try to uh, harvest them all uh, together and make uh, for, for, the, for the main cuvee, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do that. And also I'm making some other cuvées, which are uh, mainly uh, Mourvedre. Uh, one is uh, mainly Mourvedre and the other one is mainly uh, Senso. I like the Senso too uh, in, uh, in this appellation. It's uh, one of the, the appellation that make the, the, the great Senso that you can find. For Mourvedre, I, uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm sure also that you can make very, very beautiful Mourvedre uh, in this terroir, especially with the... On the on the top of this plateau with the, the pebbles, which make uh, the the, the Mourvedre very healthy and happy on this place, so you can have very good good result with that. But uh, as Pierre said, the, the Grenache is the is our king variety here also, and uh, this is the the elegancy. This is the this is uh, very very interesting, very good, and uh, that's why I also have a lot of Grenache uh, in my. Uh, plantation but for the future we have uh, we are working on the um, our cahier des charges uh, i mean the the appellation have some rules and uh, for the for the the quantity uh, of the different variety that we are using uh, and we have to respect that but we will start to open it uh, and to have more um, capacity to do the things in, the, in our appellation in the future. We are trying to work on it with the INAO uh, in France and to, to, to change it, to, to be more uh, free to, uh, to use different variety and to use them uh, with the proportion that we like, mm. as uh, other appellation can do in the, in the Rhone. You are blessed to work with some very uh, beautiful Grape varieties. Um, Pierre, um, Grenache, um, although you're making blends, obviously uh, Grenache is playing that kind of king role, as uh, Gérald said. Um, are you seeing amongst consumers uh, an increased appreciation of uh, Grenache Noir? I'm not sure that the 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 the, the grape the, or the, the grape variety itself is is truly promoted. That. Uh, People, consumers love uh, Southern Rhone wines uh, without being aware that they are Grenache based. I think there is a lack of communication on Grenache, I mean, like you could find in, in the world on Cabernet Sauvignon, Chardonnay or Pinot Noir. Uh, Grenache, I mean, is starting to get, to get popular thanks to Spanish wines, maybe a little bit thanks to Chateauneuf. But so I think the, 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 in the, um, consumer taste Grenache is one of the best fitted grapes uh, but uh, lacking of recognition so far uh, so and 
since the the in the beginning of this uh, interview, uh, we speak of Lirac more than of Grenache. But in fact, uh, uh, Grenache is 70% or 75% of Iraq. So it's just a question of point of view of angle uh, from where you, you, see, you see the wine. So I would say Grenache has an absolutely great uh, future because it fits to a consumer's palate, which wants more and more delicate wine and less and less uh, rustic or t- high tannins uh, wines. The thing is Grenache, uh, the finesse, comes with full maturity and full maturity comes with uh, quite high alcohol. That's why Southern Rhone uh, is very lucky to have a blending tradition because the blending helps in the balance that sometimes Grenache Noir would not have uh, by itself, uh, would not have alone. Uh, Gérald, um, do you find yourself in your winemaking being very conscious of alcohol levels? Yes, this is a reality now, and especially with some variety like Grenache that can make uh, some time if you want to wait for the good maturation, it can make uh, some high alcohol content. Uh, so we, 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 we try to, uh, to manage it as, uh, as we can, as much as we can to, uh, to harvest at the right time. Uh, it is not uh, the the deal is not to uh, to have something with uh, low alcohol, just to, uh, to to can say that there is not too much alcohol on the wine. Uh, the fact is that we need to have uh, a very good wine, and um, you know uh, the things are what they are. We have to wait that the maturity is there. So um, sometime to have uh, the great maturation on the polyphenolic. Uh, the tannin and the, the anthocyan, uh, we, we have to wait uh, that uh, sometimes the sugar is a bit high after that. So um, that's, that's, that's it. The, this is also a specificity of uh, our region. We are in the south. We are uh, under the sun and uh, we cannot make uh, a 12% uh, of alcohol wine here. It's not possible. And yeah, you mentioned um, you're blessed because you can blend. Um, alcohol, um, very much a consideration for you in your winemaking as well. I, I sorry, I missed. I missed the question. There was a, a cut in the sound. Could you repeat the okay, question? Okay, I'll ask again. Don't worry. You mentioned Pierre that uh, you're blessed because you can blend. Um, so alcohol is very much in your uh, mind when you're winemaking as well. I would say balance is in my mind more than alcohol because you you could have a 15.5 percent very well balanced wine so i mean we are not focused on on uh, we are more focused on the balance than on the alcohol content but at some point the consumer sometimes look at the, the figures and look at the back labels and uh it could be uh a, a little um uh, break uh, for the consumers to choose this kind of wine. Uh, so, uh, but if you uh, hide the, the, the alcohol percentage and have people taste the wine and they will love uh, 15.5% wine, uh, and if you tell them the, the alcohol content before, then in their mind, uh, they will not accept it. Uh, uh, only for its own uh, quality. So, um, alcohol is tricky. Uh, with the global warming, uh, that's why I said we are blessed with the blending because this is the best way to fix uh, things and balance. Yeah, you're absolutely right about balance as well. The number of times I've been 
hugely enjoying a wine i haven't even thought about alcohol and then i've looked at the uh at the label and it's you know 15 and a half percent and i'm like bloody hell but actually i didn't taste it um you know it was it was balanced it was correct and it was very enjoyable so yeah you're absolutely right um gerald um let's talk about uh, what we call organic but you call uh, biologique uh, bio you use those methods uh, in your uh, production don't you yes i do and why um uh, i'm certified uh, organic uh, but french it's uh, bio uh, european sorry it's uh, it's bio um uh, the um, so the, this is a, this is a, i think that this is now the the, the common things that are, are happening here around a lot of uh, vineyards are turning to the to the organic way why i did it it's that because in the past my father was doing that uh, and uh, i uh, i think that uh, the results are goods and uh, the way uh, of uh, these uh, methods are are good for the for, for us i mean it's good it's better you can taste the difference in the wine can you gerald it's difficult to say they are great wine with conventional uh, way uh, also because uh, they are making a good job sometimes but it's true that uh, uh, the thing is that when you are uh, uh, when you are running your your vineyard in organic way, uh, you uh, you have to be more involved in your uh, in your job. I mean, you are, you have to be very present. You have to be here. So it is not just a question of uh, if it is organic or if it is not. It's a question of what you give uh, to your job. Uh, what uh, what is if, if you are serious or not. So. Can I can I uh, feel the difference between uh, a great cuvee in uh, in conventional way or organic way make the difference? It's really difficult, really. The weather conditions that you enjoy in uh, the Southern Rhone, uh, Gerald, they are. I'm not saying that being organic is easy because it's clearly not, but um, they are the kind of conditions that are at least helpful to you using organic methods, aren't they? For sure, for sure. We are really lucky, in fact. Uh, we are one of the easiest regions to, to, to play with the organic uh, uh, way because we, we are helped with the soil first. Uh, we, we talk about it before. Um, the, the good drainage of the soil are helping a, a lot uh, for that. We, have not, we are not a, a region with a lot of rain, uh, and uh, also we have uh, this uh, very special mistral, which is a wind with, that, uh, that is uh, always there and, uh, and today is, uh, is coming again. So um, this is, uh, did that make dry condition that uh, help for the, the disease? So to manage a vineyard uh, in organic, uh, organic vineyard here is as as always, is difficult because it's uh, you. You never know if you have uh, rain or not. But if you have rain, it can be difficult sometimes. But we have not that kind of difficult uh, condition that you can have in some region in, around in the in France, for example. Yes, I think that uh, it's uh, it's easier condition here to do uh, organic uh, management. And Pierre. 
just tell us about the Mistral for anyone who hasn't experienced it. Mistral is a very strong wind. It comes from the north. Uh, it's a cold wind. It blows very fast. It could go up to 100 kilometers an hour. Usually it, it, it uh, blows three, six or nine days in a row. Uh, and it is both the best friend and the best enemy of, uh, of the vineyard. It's the, it's the best friend uh, because we love it uh, during uh, harvest, uh, because it, um, during the growing season, because it dries up the berries and prevents from botrytis. Uh, and um, both Syrah and Grenache, and especially Grenache, are very uh, sensitive to, uh, to botrytis, especially in the end when, when the sugars are high. And also uh, the Mistral wind could be the best enemy of the vineyard. Uh, and and, and uh, especially uh, when we uh, farm uh, under organic methods, uh, because it prevents you from spraying on the uh, on the right time, uh, because uh, you uh, need to be a windless day uh, to do a very um, efficient uh, spraying. Uh, and this basically was the difficulty of the 2018 uh, vintage. Uh, there was a lot of downy mildew pressure, and uh, it, I mean, we people knew knew it and saw it, but it was um, very hard to find a proper window of time uh, to spray properly. You mentioned biodynamic practices, yep. which you have adopted on uh, one of your properties. Just explain why you decided to go further than organic to biodynamic methods. They already were run under biodynamic. So we decided to, to keep the, the concept and to keep the, the farming methods. Uh, it, was, it was already set up. And also, Moron is not organic, but very close to it. We are not certified, but we have a lot, a lot of organic practices. So we considered uh, L'Oratoire Saint-Martin and Le Domaine du Gencier uh, kind of experimental labs to, to technical uh, to see technically what it what it really demands, so we decided to to keep uh, this um, uh, biodynamic farming. But for example, at Montredon, um, we we didn't wait for having some biodynamic experience to plant a vineyard on a root days, for example. So we were already doing some without being certified some um, biodynamic practices uh, at Montredon. And having inherited those properties uh, where those uh, biodynamic practices were used. Are you as a winemaker now convinced um, that it's a good thing, that it's something perhaps you might like to develop further? I think there is a lot of good things to take from organic farming and from biodynamic farming. So it's, I would, I mean, I wouldn't say there is a there is a 100% uh, perfect uh, meth method of farming, uh, but a lot of good practices come from, from organic farming. And I think for me, the, the, the best organic practicing is uh, mechanical uh, de-weeding, so um, stopping uh, herbicides, which is for me the worst uh, conventional practice. Because uh, if you want to have your, your ground uh, clean or with very few weeds, uh, then you need to plow underneath the row and in between the rows. Uh, and if you plow, uh, you force the roots to go uh, deeper uh, in the ground and explore better the terroir. 
So I think uh, the main difference, quality-wise, is is about uh, having the roots uh, doing a better job in the soil. Uh, the fact of if you use few chemicals on the very good spraying at a very good time, then you find no residue in the wine. So uh, and this is this is problem. We we we've tasted it. Uh, so but for me the the yeah the the best thing is by far. The, the 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 plowing and the ground management mm, interesting and in lirac uh, there is an increasing focus on sustainability pierre isn't there uh in, well concerning our vineyards everywhere uh we we are we are not using uh any herbicide since vintage 18 uh so 100 percent of our ground are organic farmed uh with with the plowing with with uh, like organic manure and so on uh, so uh, we didn't, yeah, we we didn't wait that for for very very cautious and and and, and uh, protective with, with the soil. And Gerald, um, we talked a little about uh, climate change uh, and its effects. Sustainability, I'm assuming, especially as you practice uh, and are certified bio, I imagine sustainability very important for you there as well. Yes. Yes, of course. Uh, it's, we 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 have to uh, to maintain uh, uh, a very good uh, management of the the vineyard and uh, not using uh, too much uh, product. So, uh, as uh, Pierre said, uh, we are not using, of course, in organic way the, the the chemical for to kill the grass or to manage the soil. And that's a good thing. Uh, and uh, in general, um, it is coming. A lot of uh, vineyards are, are turning to, uh, especially in Iraq, they are turning into the organic way now. Mm. And just to wrap up, how do you feel the future looks for Lirac? So for me, Lirac is a very great appellation. And for me, uh, there is a, a very beautiful future for it. I'm sure that we will um, produce uh, very, very successful whites in the future. Uh, I'm sure that the, the, the quantity of whites produced in this appellation will grow very fast in the, 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 the future, in the, the, next, uh, the next year that are coming. Uh, for the reds, I expect also a very good success on, the, on this wine because for me, they are one of the finest uh, reds that you can find into the, the south. Uh, and uh, the price of them, actually, uh, if you compare to the same quality uh, wines, are very uh, interesting, very approachable. So for the people who want to discover very good wines, um, and uh, this, this, is the, this is the right appellation. And Pierre, the same question for you, looking to the future. And I know that you'll mention whites here again, because you rightly were very keen to make sure that we didn't ignore whites. They're, according to the official figures, 11% of production. Uh, so they are growing in significance. Um, so uh, the future is, is red, white and rosé, I assume. Well, I agree with Gerald. The white have a great future. Uh, it's it's a worldwide trend, but it's also a, a reality in Iraq because because uh, it's 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 a great terroir, uh, well adapted for for white grapes. So yes, uh, I think the the future of Iraq will be whiter for sure. It's going to for me to take a little bit of time for the world to wake up and realize that Iraq has great terroirs. I would say it's it's a 
it's a slow but secured uptrend uh, in terms of reputation because the quality is there. It's just a question of, of marketing and, and promotion of the appellation. So I, uh, we, you know, we, we used to, to, to grow 35 hectares of Iraq and we decided to, to buy a, a, another 15, 20 hectares with Domaine du Gencier. So if uh, we were not believing into uh, Lirac quality potential, we would not have invested there again. Uh, so for me, is definitely a, a sleeping vineyard, definitely an underrated value. Uh, and when, when the world is going to wake up, uh, Lirac, is, Lirac is for sure going to boom. Uh, and and also Iraq now with the, the the players in the appellation has become a much more dynamic appellation. I wouldn't name them, but other crew from the Southern Rhone Valley. Well, you've put your money where your mouth is, as we say uh, in English. So that is the greatest uh, sign of confidence. Uh, you're right. Pierre uh, Gérald, thank you so much for taking some time out at this uh, busy time of the year and for speaking to us uh, in English as well. Um, it's uh, more than I could do in French, that's for sure. Thank you both uh, very much indeed for joining us on The Drinking Hour. Thank you. It was a pleasure. The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in partnership with Club Onologique. The world through the lens of wine and spirits. Well, let's round off this time with a selection of medal-winning spirits from the IWSC Hall of Fame. We haven't uh, featured spirits for a while, so today the focus is on France, starting with uh, a French whiskey. We don't hear nearly enough about French whiskey. Uh, so here's a gold medal winner from Brittany to inspire you. Armorique 10-year-old Breton single malt whiskey. Uh, the judges, led by Dawn Davis, master of wine, uh, said this, a well-crafted single malt with a smoky, complex character. Hazelnut aromas welcome you, leading into a, an explosion of tropical peach and melon fruit flavours. Touches of coconut and sweet spice with a long finish. Staying in the north of France, Boulard Pay Doge VSOP Calvados won a very strong silver, 94 points, so just one shy of a gold. Here's what impressed the panel of judges. Ripe apples with baked apple skin tartness and sweet notes of tart tatin. Fleshy stewed apple with pastry richness and a hint of cider on an enduring finish. Sounds delicious. Also winning a very strong silver, 94 points again. Martel Blue Swift from uh, Cognac. Uh, the panel's tasting notes here, attractively rustic with the inviting flavours of freshly baked apples, zesty orange peel, plump sultanas, zippy coriander, dried oregano and sweet flowing honey. A truly marvellous drop, they said. And next, a silver medal winning French gin that sounds enticing. Uh, Bartavelle Mediterranean grapefruit and rosemary gin won a silver medal with 91 points. Gin expert Olivier Ward overseeing judging here. The panel's tasting note, tart grapefruit and candied peel with rosemary oil richness and hints of white pepper. Complex and fresh with tongue tingling grapefruit sharpness, sweet ginger, savoury herbaceous notes and a rosemary-rich finish. And talking of finishes, one more, finally, also winning a silver, a new one for me, uh, Belle de Brille liqueur from 
the southwest of France, inspiring this rather lovely tasting note, crunching into a freshly fallen apple on an autumn morning. The elegance on the palate offers notes of pear, apricot, baking spices, sweet pastry and flowers, silky and mouth-filling. And that's it for this edition of The Drinking Hour. My thanks to Pierre and Gerald, as well as Alistair Cooper and W, of course. And thanks to you for listening and hopefully learning more about Lyric. You can follow us on Instagram and X, the new name for Twitter. Try Food FM Radio. Uh, you can follow Club Analogique. And you can follow me. I'm Mr. Venusaurus. Until next time, though, it's goodbye. The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in partnership with Club Onologique. The world through the lens of wine and spirits. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com.